you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Hey guys, it's Roger back at you and thanks for tuning in. You know, very few restaurants are very effective marketers. Of course, this is the business of a thousand details and you got to be good at so many different things, but marketing is so important. But marketing is just one side of the equation. What we're really talking about is brand building. Anybody can market anything, but very few people can build a powerful brand. A brand is an image, an aura, a message you send to your customers. It's based on inspiration. It's based on passion. It gets into logo design and fonts and colors and how you train your staff to become brand ambassadors for your business. And then we move on to social media, where everybody needs to be, and you need to make a statement. And also, the power of influencer marketing, how you can create influencers that are such powerful, passionate believers in your business that they spread the word just because they like your place, they love your place. It's a part of them, okay? In this big episode, I'm speaking with a marketing guru. Her name, Meg Presner, and she is the CEO of Hackett Brand Consulting and they specialize in brand building. We're going to be talking about all of these things, about the image, the aura, about how to market and brand build your business. We'll talk about influencer marketing, online reviews, all the important stuff, so stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and these are engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. We're really going to focus on the brand building piece today. With me is a marketing, public relations, social media, and brand strategy expert. Her name is Meg Presner, and she is with Hackett Brand Consulting. She is the CEO and founder of that company. Welcome to the show, Meg. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate chatting with you about all things marketing. I'm excited to talk marketing. You know, that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, I I spent 20 plus years running restaurants. I'm back in the business today. And, you know, I I dive deep in all these things. And that was one of the things that I focused on when I ran restaurants. You know, I often call this business, Meg, one of a thousand details with restaurants and hotels and hospitality operations. There are really so many moving pieces and many restaurant operators find it difficult to become adept or expert at all of those things. You really can't be. So that's where the experts come in. So, you know, you focus on so many different things, but let's, let's talk about what your services encompass because one size doesn't fit all. You do so many things and you do so many things well. So you get a new typical client. Where do you begin? What questions do you ask and how does the process start? Yeah. So really, um, we do digital marketing and digital marketing services, but um, the bread and butter of what we do is PR, influencer marketing, social media. Um, What that comes advertising, Google ads, um, just by the natural extension of it. Um, But honestly, with everything I do, I start with strategy. Um, So really getting to the root of why we're here. What, why do we want to tackle marketing? You know, a lot of restaurant owners, um, they'll, they'll hear things like, oh, I, they feel like they should be on Facebook or they feel like they should be on Instagram. And often um, the question that I love to start with is why? You know, what are you hearing? But more importantly, what are your goals with this, right? Like, let's start at the beginning. 
backtrack. Um, you know, is it just awareness? Is it getting more people to your shop? You know, wh- where are we at in your business? And then there, the strategy kind of guides what we do, how we do it, and and what type of message we're trying to send. That's really that's really so important, of course. So there is a difference, of course, between brand strategy and marketing strategy, but there is an overlap there. Does it always begin with um, a well-defined marketing plan, and do you help a client sort of go through those steps and, and motions to create a marketing plan, and then you know step A, B, C, D, and we focus on priorities and we assign budgets to those things? Yeah, exactly. So there is a lot of overlap. You're absolutely right. So with brand brand strategy, it's a lot about um, developing your voice, developing your brand. You know, how do we come to market? Um, some people are really well established in that, and some people have no idea. And so when you're grounded in that, then your marketing plan or your marketing strategy looks at how you come to life. Um, you know, do we want to do PR? Do we want to do social media? Do we want to do ads? What is that right mix for that restaurant? Uh, but the brand, the branding piece of it really helps guide how you then come to life, right? So if we're trying to get awareness about thought leadership out there or something really cool they're doing for an event in the space, uh, maybe PR is the way to go, or maybe it's social media with Eventbrite and, and really amplifying awareness of the event. Um, but if you're a little bit wishy-washy on how you come to life, like you don't know what your voice is or who you're talking to, taking a step back and saying, okay, we know we're attracting families or we're attracting young 20-somethings, you know, there's different audiences to play with and, and how you talk to them really matters. There are so many types of restaurants out there and, you know, hotel operators, large and small, and there are chains. And obviously the chains have all these things dialed. They have a magic formula, but, you know, the typical independent operator out there, you know, is running perhaps many restaurants are running restaurants, but they're not necessarily thinking of their operation as a brand. And a brand encompasses so many different things. It's a logo, it's the colors, it's the font you use, it's an image and an aura that you want to project to the public. And it even gets down to, you know, training the staff to become brand ambassadors and to understand your product and your restaurant or your hotel and your property so well that they can then spread the message, you know? And that is, uh, you know, that has several benefits unto itself because especially if we're talking about social media, isn't it a powerful thing if everybody on your team is so firmly grounded in your brand, they understand it so well, and they can then communicate, you know, to their network and, and spread the word. Isn't it, isn't it true? I mean, I'm sure you work with your clients with, uh, with that in mind as well. Yeah. And actually, um, part of our business, we focus on employee advocacy. Um, it's such a huge part. It's something I'm really passionate about because I think, um, the best brand ambassadors are your employees and your team members. Um, and in fact, I'm, I was just doing some research on thought leadership and Richard Branson is the person mm-hmm. who says, put your employees first, even before your customers, because if your employees come first, they'll treat your customers right. And the customers will do your word of mouth marketing for you. Right. So um, especially with local, more independent retailers, 
they're independent hotel chains and restaurants. Um, your employees are your best asset, right? They live and really breathe are. in the city that you are um, or town that you are, and they are the ones who can be your biggest advocates for you. And, and more often than not, they're on social media. They're doing word of mouth marketing, telling people where they're working for. Um, so really taking care of them first can go such a long way. I'm really glad you brought that up because impressions in, in hospitality are so important and impressions are lasting ones. And unfortunately, human nature is you have a negative experience. So many people are quick to spread the word, you know, because word of mouth is, is so powerful in, in hospitality, whether it is online or just face to face. And those impressions count. And if you don't train your staff, the flip side to this is they can actually do your service, your business a disservice. You know, they can sabotage your business if they're not trained to, you know, say the right things and do the right things and be advocates for the business. I believe I've seen it happen over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people remember how you make them feel, right? Um, and it's why some yes. of these like white glove type of experiences that you go into, like a Ritz Carlton, for example, they have everything polished with how they treat you or five star hotels, right? Um, they they have people walking them from their car to the front desk. Um, right, right. But, um, you know, and people, if you have a negative experience, they remember that as well. Um, you could have 10 really great experiences and one really bad one, and maybe you never come back because of that. Uh, but the benefit of the, the smaller concepts are that, you know, you are more hands-on with your employees and you know them a bit more personally and they take a lot of pride in that. Um, and so I think all the way through from whether an independent retailer or you're a thousand chain concept. Um, it's really about that experience and making sure the experience is great for your employees first and foremost, because if they love to work for you, they're going to love to come to work every day. Let's get back to working with a new client and, and really formulating that marketing plan. So is there several, one or two or several interview sessions where you really get to know the client and then you get to know the client's business and then you figure out, you know, who their target customer is and, you know, what the busiest day parts are and what the hidden opportunities are that they might be missing and building traffic on slower days or nights, that sort of thing. I mean, it's all encompassing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's really important. So whenever we bring on a new client, we start with a discovery call. Okay. Um, and this is really, a, it could be like a two to four hour session, depending on how long. Sometimes we break it up because four hours is a long time to sit. Um, but the discovery call really dives into the brand um, and the why behind it all. So we're, we're asking questions of not only are why we hear marketing, but tell us your story. I want to hear why you started this concept, or I want to hear what led you to, you know, be a brand marketer for this concept. You know, tell me all about it. Tell me about your CEO. Tell me about your owners. Um, let's dive into everything that comes up into the point of marketing itself. Um, and then once we get to the marketing of it, really we um, switch gears a little bit. So moving from the why to understand what the customer journey is. Um, so I hear a lot of times people will think about their customer journey in terms of when people are buying stuff or when their purchasing habits are, but really customers are backtracking even beyond that, right? So if you think of um, a hotel concept, sure, they're staying with you um, for, for an extension of their stay, whether they're in Denver visiting family or they're in San Francisco on vacation or going somewhere for work, but their point of decision-making for the customer 
is before they're there. Um, and so we really work to understand what that customer journey is, um, both perceived by the client itself, but also doing a lot of research behind the scenes to dive in and see, okay, here's where we think our customers are. Here's the point of the journey that we want to dive into awareness to get their attention all the way through to the point where they're actually making the intention to purchase whatever product it is that you're selling. Something you mentioned just triggers the thought of secret shoppers because you clearly work with clients, you know, perhaps globally, regionally, nationally, that sort of thing. And you can't visit every location to sort of get a a really good feel for what that operation is, you know, face to face or personally. Do you um, employ any secret shopper services? Do you recommend that restaurants do that and you take those reviews and sort of formulate what people's um, impressions and experiences are like in a particular property? Yeah, so I don't personally, um, through Hackett, do secret shopping, but I do advocate for it. Um, There's plenty of people who um, do secret shopping and they know um, you can hire them out and they will go through a list and they're looking for specific key points. Um, But it isn't a tremendous learning experience um, to go through and see what the experience is for a customer who's new to the brand, but also to sit down with existing customers. You know, what makes them come back to your restaurant? What brings them in, um, you know, more than once a week if they're loyal fans and they're coming every day or twice a week? What makes them maybe shy away from coming more often. Um, So not just secret shopping to understand the experience the first time, but also, you know, doing live interviews and sitting down with customers and understanding like what it is that they love about you and maybe what it is that they don't, you know, Um, people are a little bit shy to give that negative feedback face to face. So it's always good to go experience it. Um, But if you just listen a little bit, go on Twitter, um, go on Yelp reviews or Google reviews and listen, there's probably a thread there that you can see where negative reviews or even positive reviews are, are coming out. I guess I asked that question because before you, you know, drive the world to a property's door with this amazing marketing and brand strategy, you got to make sure that the housekeeping is in order and that the customers that do come for the first time have a positive experience. I'll give you a case in point. My wife and I last summer were staying at a boutique hotel just outside of Boston, Mass for a friend's birthday party. And this was a high-end property and it was a really nice hotel. We had never been there before, but you know, the reviews were pretty good, but our experience was less than stellar for a variety of reasons. But one quick example, the check-in process was flawless. The person behind the, you know, the desk that greeted us and checked us in, very efficient, very professional, very knowledgeable about the area. I mean, we knew Boston, we didn't ask a lot of questions, but you could tell she was well-trained. But as soon as we got into the elevator, two things happened. The very first thing is when we stopped on our floor, it was sort of a double-sided elevator. And for some reason, the door that opened first that we were about to step into opened into a maintenance closet. And we almost walked in and here's all these shelves with chemicals on the walls and mops and buckets and stuff. And then our door opened on the opposite side to get out to the hallway. And I'm like, that should never happen. That was our first impression. And then walking down the hallway to our room, you know, you could tell that the housekeepers had just literally thrown all the linens, the dirty linens out into the hallway. We walked past a bunch of dirty linens, you know, walking around that. And now there's like, you know, room service dishes and trays outside of another door. And these are the details that matter Mm -hmm. when someone's checking into a property. That's housekeeping, the basics, right? The same thing happens in restaurants. Yeah. 
And then we walked into our room and it, it looked like a family had stayed there because the windows, the very, the sun was shining through the window. And as we walked through, the first thing you saw were all these kids fingerprints or handprints all over the windows, you know, and these were three negatives right off the bat in an otherwise high end, you know, somewhat, you know, not, <laughs> not inexpensive property. So I just say that because that's very, very important to make sure that yeah. all those details happen before you drive new business. I, I agree with that full heartedly. Um, and my eyes kind of widen at your experience and it, the, ho- the experience you had at that hotel really translates to restaurants as well, right? Yes, it does. You can have the best food in the world and the best team in the world. But if you walk into a restaurant and the garbage is overflowing or right, it's right. dirty around where they're preparing your food, you're, you're wondering like, how well are they taking care of this food? Am I going to get sick? You know, like how clean really is this place? Like it, it raises a lot of red flags in your head as a customer. And um, when I was working at Kidoba and leading brand marketing, um, and there are 700 plus restaurant chains. So it takes a lot of operations and they do a stellar job of, you know, getting people in tip top shape. Um, but we can do all the marketing we want in the world. But if a customer comes in and their experience with an employee or with dirtiness, uh, does it match that? It's like cool graphic food's dirty, (laughs) you know, like it's like you have that disconnect. Um, and so you really want to make sure that the, the experience and when you say branding, um, resonates from, top to bottom, right? Like all the way through. Um, it's from the moment they see you online and their experience on a website, booking your hotel or choosing your restaurant, all the way through to that experience. And even when you leave, right? You don't want to have some type of disconnect. And that can really be a turnoff for customers, um, especially cleanliness. That's you know a huge one that sure. just is a no-go. Well, that's funny because, you know, that probably doesn't reach into most restaurant or hospitality marketing plans, but every aspect of what you just said is part of the marketing. The food is the marketing. The service that you receive is the marketing, you know, the cleanliness of the place and the quality that's presented. It's not just about graphics and about logos and websites and, you know, who we think we are and mission statements and all that. It's everything. So... Mm I hope the audience is paying attention because there are literally so many details to what we're talking about. Um, let's dive into social media, okay? What's important? What are, the, what are the best or most effective platforms right now for restaurants? And let's, let's talk about that. And then let's talk about frequency of posts and what to post and who should post and you know who the personality behind the posting should be in a typical property. Yeah, so how you show up on social media is a big one, right? Um, I advocate that it's a must today, um, especially for younger audiences, or maybe even not that young as millennials, we, we grow up, right? Um, but they're online. And whether you're online or not, they're online. Um, and so they're looking for you. Um, and then so how you show up is I typically recommend if you're new to social media is starting with two channels, you know, really get a well-oiled machine going. And typically that's Facebook and Instagram because they work together. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you run ads, you can get the benefit of the shared platform. Um, but understanding that the different platforms work differently is a, is a big factor because, you know, Twitter is immediate. People expect responses immediate. They're going there for news. The way they use Twitter is different than Instagram 
which is highly visual, right? They want to go and look at beautiful food or beautiful restaurants and beautiful hotels and the chandeliers and everything that comes along with it. And it's such a different experience channel by channel. Um, and so how you show up on those channels can really be determined by which channel you're on. Uh, but also, you know, going back to that brand voice is like being really true to your brand, right? So if you're a family style brand um, and you cater to, say you have daycare for kids at your hotel and you have shuttle services to Disney World and those types of things, um, you don't want to be on Instagram trying to appeal to an 18-year-old who wants to go out um, say, for example, in Orlando at Disney World and wants to go out to the bars, you know, be true to who you are and show up how you are, you know, because customers will see right through it. Social media is very transparent. Um, people can see through those lines. And so really, um, I think first and foremost, starting with one to two channels, owning that before you expand. Um, and then once you are in a place to expand, look at how the channels, how people are using those channels, and then put that together with how you want to show up as a brand. And you often recommend that professional photography is a must if you're posting photos of the food or the menu items, that sort of thing. It's not just an iPhone, you know, let's take a picture of tonight's special and throw it up on social media. I mean, do people do that? I mean, what do you suggest? I mean, they do. And I think it's an interesting question to ask because, um, Phones these days have really high quality photos. Um, but if you are taking pictures, I recommend if you take pictures yourself, you know, make sure that they'll do your, do your research, make sure the lighting is good, make sure the plating is well. Um, you know, I think it's an interesting question um, to backtrack because we're seeing a shift on social media where people are looking for authenticity. Um, and so where, you know, leading up into this point, people wanted really highly stylized photos of influencers and beautiful um, stage things. Um, those certainly still have their place, yeah. but people are, are looking more and more for authenticity. And so they're also looking at what customers are posting. What does this food actually look like? And I think of some of the major like burger chains, for example, right? Um, they'll have these beautiful pictures of their food, but you get the burger and it looks a little different. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's a good burger, but you want to kind of show up how you really show up. So going back to our early conversation where there's not a disconnect between the customer experience and what they're what they're seeing online um, and so yes if you can afford professional photos and all of that like definitely show your bet put your best foot forward um, but you know I think that there's also room to play with some more authentic real, in restaurant experiences, um, especially on the likes of stories, like Instagram stories are very forgiving. Um, so if you're trying a new recipe or something like that, you know, you don't need to have that highly stylized imagery. How do you stand apart from your competitors that might be on the same platforms posting just as frequently as you are? And how do you avoid being too salesy perhaps and selling out versus presenting an authentic message that really intrigues and compels people to come in? Yeah. So that one, I think really comes back to rooting who you are. Um, what products do you offer that are different um, from your customers? Um, you know, 
a lot of people say, oh, like it's the same, a hotel is a hotel is a hotel, but that's not necessarily the case, right? So you may have different customer service or you may have a different check-in process or um, even something about the hotel room, right? Um, really leaning into what makes you different and makes you unique and what can set you apart from the crowd. Um can go a long way. So in the restaurant industry, we call these table stakes, right? You must have a clean restaurant. Um, you must have, you know, certain hours of the day you're open. You must have, um, you know, employees that treat you well. There are certain types of table stakes that are, if you miss those, you're going to have a bad experience. But above and beyond those table stakes, you know, what, what set you apart? Once upon a time, it was Wi-Fi, but now every place has Wi-Fi and people come to expect that. Of course. So highlighting the fact that you have Wi-Fi is probably not going to differentiate you. Um, you want to get into more nuanced experiences that are true to you. Um, and oftentimes that just comes from looking in. A lot of times people are looking out. Uh, but if you look inside and you think, what value am I bringing to the customer? And put that customer, get in that customer frame point, frame point, then they'll tell you that. So finding an owner operator or a general manager who's been in this business a long, long time that is also extremely tech savvy, that is really familiar with the ins and outs of all these platforms is somewhat rare. You know, there, clearly there are people out there that are amazing restaurant operators and they're also super marketers and, you know, they're all over this stuff, but let's just put ourselves into, you know, the average typical restaurant owner operator. Do you ever suggest that they find somebody on the staff that's really, really savvy with this, that has a good understanding of the property and, and trust and empower them to be the brand, you know, face of that restaurant on social media? Yeah. So I've actually seen this and I work with a local um, shop here that does this. Yeah. Um, and they have a few team members that are really savvy in social media, but not that just that they took a liking to it. You know, when the owner came to them and asked, you know, who would be interested in, they immediately raised their hand and they've been killing it on social media. But it's a really interesting dynamic because um, their the day job comes first, right? So first things first is you're in the store with customers and that will always come first. And so you have a couple options as an owner or an operator. And one is, is that you can if you do have team members who are really savvy and really interested in growing and, and can do it well, um, is to embrace that and perhaps carve out time, um, part of their schedule to do that, which can be really hard in the service industry when you're on routine and getting people through the line or have a certain standards. Um, but it works really well because they're your brand advocates, right? They're the people who are with your customers. They know what they're looking for. And if they love your brand or your business, you know, they're going to do it better than an agency at times. Um, but the, the negative to that is, again, they have a day job that often comes first. And so you have to, as a manager, really make sure that they know what to prioritize um, as part of their work so that um, social media doesn't just fall away or do really good when it's slow and then drop off mm -hmm. when it's not. Um, and, and maybe also put some resources behind it. So the local shop I work for, um, they actually, um, I'll come in quarterly and do workshops with them to troubleshoot some of the situations that they're um, facing. You know, what are their challenges? What can't they get over? What's changing in social media? Because it happens 
so quickly, um, you know, and so we sit down and we do these workshops quarterly where we can chat through it. And I come to the table with some ideas for them and then they go and they execute it really well. So for a typical property restaurant, hotel enterprise, um, do you suggest that uh, there's a certain sweet spot in frequency of posting and is it different or similar or the same in different properties across the country in terms of timing, like what days to post, what time of day do you post, that sort of thing? I mean, this is pretty critical information, right? Yeah. And there's a theory that I love that actually comes from Gary Vaynerchuk and it's um, yeah. quantity determines quality. Um, and nice. and so the more frequently you post, um, the more data you'll get, the more insights you get into what it's working. Um, and so uh, Instagram, for example, is a really unique one because there's this kind of sweet spot where about 2 a.m., if you post your, you put it on scheduled posts, that yes. performs the best, right? But like logic would have it hmm. that people are sleeping, right? Yeah. <laughs> like even, um, you know, yeah. so 2 a.m. in New York is midnight in Denver, right? Um, and so it's kind of counterintuitive um, to what you would think. Um, and so the only way to test that is to post at those times and schedule posts and see, maybe this is the first thing the person sees when they wake up and they check their alarm and then they look at Instagram and look at your post. Um, but LinkedIn and Facebook have different times because of user behavior. Um, but I think what's really interesting is you don't know until you try it. Um, and so I always advise, you know, at the beginning, starting with quantity that doesn't feel like spam, you know, you know, make sure your content is still good and you're not just posting to post. Um, and then looking to see what resonates based on that and also by channel because that makes a big difference. Um, and, you know, you can post as a restaurant. You're thinking, okay, like people come in for lunch. Let's post at 10 a.m. or 9 a.m. every single day. But there's a possibility that people are talking with their coworkers the day before about going to lunch the next day and choosing a point in time, you know, the day before. And so you may actually have better resonance when it's like 4 p.m. in between lunch and in between dinner. People are starting to get hungry for dinner and they're like, hey, you guys want to go to lunch tomorrow? Um, but you don't know until you try it. And so I think if you go with the quantity over quality mm -hmm. and really pay attention to what your audiences are telling you on social media, you'll learn a lot and then you can scale back and, and refine what's working based on that. How important is variety in what to post? Let's say you've got a whole tool bag, you've got photos of the food, you've got special promotions, what's happening this weekend, live events, music, entertainment, that sort of thing, discounts and deals, uh, you know, menu items, lunch specials, today's special is. I mean, that's a whole bunch of different stuff. I mean, there's a whole strategy around what to post, right? And mm -hmm. when to post all those different things and the variety versus consistency of over and over again, reinforcing the same message versus being all over the map. Yeah. I mean, I think consistency is king um, or queen. And uh, so consistency is there, right? Um, yeah. And it's something like um, somebody has to see your brand eight times before they resonate resonate and there's different stats about how often and how much um but you know they users people are creature of habit they have you know they have habits that they like to form they're routine based um and so the more consistently you can be in front of them the more they'll come to 
recognize that and then you can introduce variety, right? Uh, because there are different things that appeal to different people. So some people want a happy hour deal. Other people want to come in for a business work lunch. And how do you target both of those people? Um, but if you consistently post a message over and over that, hey, we have happy hour every Thursday from four to six and you and and when I say over and over, I don't mean every day of the week until sure. Thursday. Right, right. Um, but you know, week after week, every Wednesday and Thursday, um, you're posting as a reminder. Eventually, that'll get some sticky news to it, and people will remember that that when they're looking for happy hour, that that comes up. Um, and so it's the consistency of it, um, and then variety. Variety is great to switch things up. But you know, I think really relying on figuring out what's working getting into the consistency of making sure you're posting people can expect when you're posting um, and then introducing new things. And oftentimes that's more disruptive, right? So um, when we were at Qdoba relying on that example, um, mm -hmm. we have queso and that was like our huge differentiator for a long time from Chipotle. Yes. Um, and we have queso, but after I think it was like 14 or 15 years in business, we introduced two new quesos. Um, and they just went off the charts because we only had one queso for so long that people came to love and, you know, disrupting it with a little bit of variety did really well. Um, and so much so that when we did, like we did a social media voting contest where people could vote for which one of the two new quesos they loved. It got a lot of recognition in the industry for just like such a simple concept, um, and it did really well and it became a permanent, one of them became a permanent menu item for fans. Um, but, you know, I think if you were to do that and introduce a new queso every single week, um, you lose that kind of disruption of variety. And so it's really about striking that balance and, and bringing it to life. Very good point. Let's talk about... Facebook and Instagram and algorithms and regular posts versus paid advertising and how you really get your message across. Is it possible not to pay for advertising or, you know, pay for things and still get the impact you're looking for? Do you really have to boost posts and pay for ads now? Um, you know, I think depending on who you talk to, you'll get different points of view with that. <laughs> okay. Um, but I recommend posting if there's no algorithm. Um, you know, posting as if there's no likes, being authentic to your brand, because when you do that, people follow you, um, they want to engage with you. And so it, it may take a little bit of a tough skin to break through some of these like, oh, why is this post only getting five likes and this post getting a thousand? Um, and it can play a little bit of a mind trip on you as a person. Um, but, you know, if you're posting as if there's no algorithm and you're just posting because you want to get your message out there and you have some really killer new hotel you're opening or deal you're doing or um, product you want to serve, um, people will come to you. Um, and then, you know, I think where the ads come into play is that they amplify that message. Um, and so rather than relying on ads to build your audience, which you can absolutely do, right? Like Facebook has, Facebook and Instagram both, when you set up ads, you can do so in a way that um, is toward fan growth. Um, but you should ask yourself, you know, what is the end business goal of this? You know, if you if your goal is fan growth, then absolutely sure, you know, do that more eyeballs um, on your page and what you're pushing. Um, but really, I think 
thinking more about it as a way to amplify what you're already doing um, is where paid media can really come in and support it. Um, if you took it outside of social media, right, like and, and put it towards your website and you're like, how do I get more people towards my website, right? Um, well, the first thing you want to do is make sure that your SEO, your search engine optimization is spot on. Um, and then, you know, and make sure that you have a nice website that doesn't detract people once they're there where they click away. And then when you do Google ads or Google, Google display ads um, and they search for you, you're going to drive more people to your site because Google search ads are supplementing the search engine behind your website. Uh, but if you don't put some of those initial nuts and bolts into place, then you can run ads and it'll run people to your website, but not as efficiently and effectively had you just built it right to begin with. Good point. Let's switch gears and talk about online reviews. They're obviously critically important. And as an owner or manager, you should be monitoring those on a daily basis. But, you know, positive posts are great and five-star reviews are amazing. But what happens when, you know, a customer is less than pleased? How do we really respond to a negative review? How do we engage in an appropriate way without creating a firestorm of a thread where all sorts of people jump in and now you got yourself into a deeper mess and that sort of thing? And the public can be really unforgiving. Let's talk about raising prices. You know, minimum wage is rising often in many states and costs are rising constantly. And customers that frequent a restaurant notice when prices increase, but they don't understand there's a reason behind it. Sometimes they think, oh, the owner's just getting greedy and he's overcharging for that. But just to stay in business, you've got to continually raise prices to keep up. I mean, that's just one example, but it's mm -hmm. like all of a sudden there's a negative post. How should a restaurant respond? And clearly the customer isn't always right, even though that's an old adage. In some cases they are, and in some cases they're not. Um, what yeah. would you suggest? I mean, there's a lot, I, there's I a love, lot there, you know what I mean? I love, love this question. And it's, I worked with an incredible operator. Um, he worked for a number of really large chains um, across different industries and like, you know, like 30 year veteran in these days. And he would always say, the customer isn't always right, but we'll make it right. I love and that. And to me, like I, that sat with me and him and I would work really closely because when you're a marketer and you're on social media, you're seeing those complaints come in or, you know, like my background is in PR. And so I've dealt with a number of crisis communications um, throughout Damage the years. Control. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, you have to work really closely with the operators, you know, if something does go wrong, what happened? You know, like, tell me the employee's perspective. Tell me what the customer's perspective is. And then let's tackle this, you know, with the right way that addresses both concerns. Um, but I think just, I, I really loved his message always of the customer isn't. I like that. Always right, but we'll make it right. Um, and, and that goes a long way, right? Um, kindness goes a long, long way. And so when you do see bad reviews or customers upset in your restaurant or hotel, um, you know, you acknowledging them and just saying you're sorry um, for their experience or whatever they may be going to, you're just sorry to hear that, um, goes a huge goes so tremendously far. Um, and then, you know, not taking it personally can also help with that, right? So, you know, a lot of times if, if you're the chef or this is your 
hotel, it's easy to be a little bit defensive. You feel like almost as if they're attacking you. Um, But if you just come at it from that lens of like, what can I do to make this right? Um, That'll often be a really good guide for how you can respond to people in those reviews. Um, Or maybe even just ask them that question, you know, like, what can we do to improve this or what can we do to make it right for you? You know, uh, a restaurant operator is a friend of mine. We both serve on the board of uh, what is called Hospitality Maine. It's the trade association in the state of Maine. And he has a a very beautiful restaurant and and a successful property. But, you know, he's very interested in his online reviews all the time. He spends a lot of time there. And he had a really unique situation or solution to turning around a negative situation, I should say. And it was so innovative. I'd never heard of that. I'm like, that's a great idea. And what he does is when he gets a, a, a negative complaint, he turns it into a positive by inviting those people back in to be a secret shopper. He gives them an experience in exchange for the feedback. And one, how did we improve and where else can we improve? And if that's not going to create customers for life and loyal people, I mean, what a positive spin that was. I love that idea. Yeah, I love that. Isn't that cool? Um, Yeah, my eyes light up because I'm like, wow, that is ingenious. But I think it puts the power back in the hands of the person who had the bad experience and allows them the chance to rectify it and even have their voice heard. Mm. Um, More often than not, that's what people are looking for, right? They're upset. Um, They had a bad lunch. They had a bad night stay um and simply making it right and and you know i think his approach is genius because you're inviting people to say okay this experience was bad can would you mind helping us in the future um you know so that others don't have the same experience um and you find this quite a bit um even if you were to take it outside of um, the restaurants or what have you with people who just um, maybe have a bad experience because their kid was having a bad day. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, the parents in a bad mood and, and the, maybe the restaurant wasn't as kid friendly as it could have been, or the employee is um, 19 and doesn't know like what to do. Right. right. Um, there's a, a variety of situations that you people can land themselves in. Uh, but, you know, opening the door and opening that line of communication um, really helps. That is the goal of social media, right? Is that it's social, it's two way communication. Um, and so keeping that in mind, you know, that we're have it's a person at the other end and it's their experience can go a long way. Well, these thoughts are a perfect segue into what I would consider to be the meat of this episode, and that is influencer marketing. And I want to talk, I want to dive deep into what that means. If you could first define influencer marketing, and then let's talk about whether that's an organic process or if it's a planned strategic process and everywhere that takes us. Yeah. So, um, Influencer marketing is, um, if I were to define it, I would say it's just the power of influence, right? The power of people and the ultimate word of mouth marketing. Um, And that's not very sophisticated. And I think a lot of people like to think of it as this like whole nuanced strategy behind things. But really influencers are people. Um, And what you're doing is creating relationships with people who have influence over others um, or influence in some way. Um, And it's no different than, um, you know, the head of a household having influence over a choice of where the family stays for the evening, right? Um, So it's about really connecting with those people 
who um, you can in turn market to their audience in. And I find it fascinating um, because a lot of people consider influencer marketing the wild, wild west, or they consider it this like unknown, uncharted territory. Um, but I love it. And I think that if you put the human or the people back into influencers um, and influencer marketing and just think of them as relationship building, um, it flips the whole script on how you can approach influencer marketing and makes it much more approachable, much more relatable and can really, really guide a lot of what you do. That's fantastic. Well, this has been a tremendous episode, Meg. I really appreciate your sharing your expertise. And I want to also share your website. That is hackitbrandconsulting.com. And Hackett, of course, is H-A-C-K-E-T-T, right? Brandconsulting.com. Um, what other social media handles can people find you on or um, how can they find you? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. In, um, and you can search me for me by my name. And then you can also find me on my personal channels, which is at Meg Prez. Um, my last name's difficult. Um, so it's just Meg, M-E-G, Prez, P-R-E-Z. Oh, it's a Z. Thank you so much. Yes. Well, it's fantastic. I can't thank you enough. You've given us so many insights into marketing and brand strategy and social media and online reviews and lastly, influencer marketing. So I'm hoping our audience reaches out to you. But if you go to that website, there is lots of resources there and you can learn so much about what you should be doing to put your best foot forward in front of your customer, your target audience, just by going to hackitbrandconsulting.com. Thanks again, Meg. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. I hope that was an eye-opener and a wake-up call. You got to get out there and you got to dominate the competition. And the only way to do that is to continually build, sustain, reinforce your brand, and make sure everyone becomes a passionate follower and believer in what you're doing. There's nothing more powerful than that. So thanks for listening as always. You know, one of the things that really strikes me in terms of return on investment is the power of your menu. Your menu is your most powerful marketing tool because every customer sees it. But I continually see so often with my clients that they've just designed their menu in the wrong way. Sure, there's variety and appeal to the customer, but they're leaving the profit piece to chance. What do I mean by that? They've designed menus where there's such a huge difference in profit in each category from one item to the next. And in most cases, we find out that the lower profit items are taking sales away, taking lots of sales away from the higher profit items. But you're paying your kitchen staff just as much to prepare the low profit versus the high profit. So why not re-engineer and redesign your menu? Because very few restaurateurs wake up every day saying, you know what? It's really possible to have a menu where every single item in each category contributes a similar, if not equal, profit. That's the goal. I've identified this with so many clients, and I found out recently with a, a, a regular client that I've been working with that their menu has lost them 183 thousand dollars in the last six months just six months alone that's over three hundred thousand dollars a year just because lower profit items are taking so many sales away from the higher profit items so what can you do reach out to me i'd love to talk to you about this i have a 30-minute consultation absolutely free all you got to do is email me roger r-o-g-e-r at restaurantrockstars.com i'd love to talk to you that's what it's all about folks if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes. It will help other restaurateurs, hospitality professionals, and managers find us. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. 
Thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.